0: MSW Media.
1: So, to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs.
0: That's what he said. That's what I said. That's obviously what our position is.
1: I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I did have, not
0: have communications with the Russians.
1: What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000
0: emails that are missing.
1: So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist.
0: Hello and welcome to episode two of the MSW Book Club and our coverage of Mary Trump's second book, The Reckoning, Our Nation's Trauma and Finding a Way to Heal.
1: I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. And today we're going to be covering chapters two and three, pages 41 to 74. Now, chapter two is called Impunity. Um, so, A.G., you ready to get started there? Yeah, let's start there. Sounds good. Last week, you know, we covered
0: uh, the failures of the Reconstruction, which allowed the nation to backslide into white supremacy, or stay there. Um, And and chapter two begins with the story of James Eastland. He's the father of the man who had hunted and lynched the Holberts. Remember, we covered that story in chapter one. Oh, I
1: remember. So James Eastland, he was elected to the Senate in 1942. And so while he was there... He basically used his position to promote his white supremacy agenda. A.G., he continued to run his plantation with sharecroppers. So basically he was known as the voice of the white South at the time.
0: Yeah, so 1942 he gets elected. In 1956, right, he, he becomes chair of the Judiciary Committee and turned it into basically a graveyard for civil rights legislation. You know how they say bills go to committee to die? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what happened. Now, he didn't retire until 1978. Whoa. He was in the Senate for 36 years pushing his racist agenda. That's why we all kind of want term limits. And And Mary uses this as just one of many examples of a long history of systemic racism and says that denying that history is
1: a denial of our nation's trauma. Absolutely. Mary continues to talk about General Lee at this point and how his barbaric existence, it not only went unpunished, he was allowed to thrive after everything he did, which is just awful. He went on to become the president of Washington College, which was later named after him. And during his tenure, a chapter of the KKK was founded at the school and Lee let it happen.
0: Yeah, I, I want more of that story, too. Um, I, I need to do I want to do some more research on that, because I'm wondering if it was he let it happen or he helped it happen. Right. Um, and, and Mary points out, according to constitutional law, he and all the other leaders should have been hanged for treason right? But instead, he walked free. Uh, and, and not only was he unpunished, like you said, he enjoyed a good life, though he was stripped of his right to vote. And some of his land was seized and, and turned into Arlington Cemetery. But Mary points out that Lee's family was actually compensated for
1: that land later. In some ways, the North, they were just as responsible as the South for pushing the lost cause propaganda. So the notion that the South seceded is a rebuke to federal overreach and had nothing to do with slavery...
0: Okay, so that's what the lost cause Right, that's the notion that is. that was.
1: Now, we missed a huge opportunity by not treating the Confederate battle flag as a symbol of hatred, which it's been carried through generation. And because of that, it's still flown today, as we've seen, as a symbol of the Southern pride instead of what it really is, which is white supremacy.
0: Yeah, yeah. and And she goes on to talk about how even though slavery was legal, many of the founding fathers saw it As evil, but like a necessary evil, right? Uh, And she she brings up Thomas Jefferson as case in point, who enslaved over 600 people. He repeatedly raped Sally Hemings, despite his belief that the races shouldn't mix. He fathered six children with her, but then he also enslaved at least six children, and he also enslaved those children.
1: So at this point, Mary asks if that criminality and racism erase his achievements, and she says they don't you know, but that it needs to be acknowledged and discussed, especially since he wrote the document that argued for equality and the, quote, rights of man. I mean, he penned that. So here's a quote from the book. The need for and purpose of accountability are often obscured by revisionist history that hides or completely elides facts that might otherwise help us revise our assessment of people like Robert E. Lee or Thomas Jefferson only by clear factual reckoning, of history can we make more informed decisions about who we hold up as an example.
0: Wow, yeah. And and this happens throughout the book. She just has these really powerful turns of phrase, right? And this statement about the need for accountability being obscured by revisionist history hits home when we talk about what Republicans are trying to do with the insurrection on January 6th, saying it was a, a festive uh, you know, party and uh, they were just tourists and, you know, trying to trying to st- tamp that down. Those are the lessons of, of white supremacy. Totally.
1: And Mary actually goes on to say that the lack of accountability, you know, continued into the 19th century, including President Gerald Ford. He was responsible for two of the worst pardons in American history. So the first was a resolution passed by the House and signed by Ford that restored General Lee's full rights of citizenship. That means voting
0: yeah and that's posthumously like why even do it and and jimmy carter later did the same for the president of the confederacy jimmy carter and and then she talks about nixon and his blatant violations of the logan act when as candidate for president he and anna chennault set up a back channel communications thing to south vietnam to scuttle the peace
1: talks back channels that sounds Um, familiar
0: yeah um almost identical to Michael Flynn calling Russia and setting up a back channel to tell them to hold off until Trump's you know retaliating against uh, Obama sanctions until Trump was in office. No charges were brought then, so it kind of stands to reason because of a lack of accountability that no charges were
1: brought with Flynn. <laughs> and Ford pardoned him for Watergate, so he wouldn't face accountability after he left office for that either and so Mary says here and this is another quote, but time continues to heal all powerful white men's wounds. That is quite the statement. In Mm -hmm. 2001, Ford was presented with the John F. Kennedy Profile and Courage Award for his pardon of Nixon.
0: (laughs) Yeah, when I was reading that, I was like, oh, he got the JFK Profile and Courage Award for something else he did? No, it was for for the pardon, for the the courage to pardon. And she goes on to say that it should not be lost on us that in the same ceremony... John Lewis, who was almost murdered for his fight for voting rights, also received the award. And uh, here on page 49 is where Mary talks about how the lack of accountability moved into the 21st century. As Obama failed to hold Bush accountable for torture with the rationalization that we should
1: look forward and not backward. Something we were all worried about with this administration. 100%. And at this point, Mary makes here so important, this point right here. She says that failing to hold those in power accountable, it negates the whole idea that with great power comes great responsibility, right? She says in America, the opposite is actually true. The more power you have, the fewer consequences you face. And holy shit, is that true? And have we seen it lately? (sighs)
0: Gut punch right there. Um, it's such a powerful comment. And Mary says that Obama actually committed two egregious mistakes in failing to hold people accountable, the torture thing, but also the housing crisis. All told, America lost almost $10 trillion in wealth. And even though even though J.P. Morgan and Bank of America paid $30 billion in fines, Eric Holder said the Department of Justice found no wrongdoing. Which is, who
1: pays $30 billion in
0: fines if he didn't do anything wrong? <sighs> Seriously.
1: Yeah, and perpetu- that perpetrated the idea that the banks were too big to prosecute, and that they were basically su- just too big to fail, which has led to a system of ri- it's it's a, it's a rigged system against Americans and for in favor of the financial institutions.
0: Yeah, that's why I was a Warren backer early on. Um, Mary wraps up this chapter discussing the awful but lawful concept that paradigm. Uh, And she says that most of the egregious crimes of our past aren't actually crimes. And she gives examples, right? The forced relocation of 100,000 Native Americans during Andrew Jackson's Trail of Tears. Uh, The domestic slave
1: trade. Like, none of these things were illegal. And without acknowledging those mistakes, A.G., we are likely to make bigger ones. And... I I fear that. This is another quote from the book. Failing to demand a reckoning for atrocities, even retrospectively, creates a situation in which we ensure such atrocities or crimes or transgressions will happen again. So she also says that failing to call them out is the same as condoning them. Silence is complicity.
0: Yeah, and the thing that catches me here is when she says even retrospectively. You know, to 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 acknowledge our our atrocities retrospectively, we're super happy to pardon people retrospectively. Mm-hmm. Thinking of Ford with uh, and, and Jimmy Carter with uh, Robert E. Lee and, and Jefferson Davis, we're willing to give them awards for their you know retrospectively, but we can't do the same when we acknowledge you know w- what we've been doing. Right. And then the final paragraph here, Dana, is just stunning. She says. In administration after administration and across centuries and decades, crimes against decency, against democracy, and against humanity have been committed by presidents, legislators, at all levels of government, the judiciary, and ordinary Americans without punishment, reprisal, or justice for the victims. Then Donald came along and left them all in the dust.
1: Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I hate that we have to talk about his presidency in this book, but we are. Here we go. All right. So then we move on to part two, which begins chapter three. And this is page 57, if you're following. Part two is called, Here There Be Monsters. And chapter three is called, American Carnage, which is a reference to the inauguration speech that the former guy gave on January 20th, 2017. So Mary says it was fitting that it was raining that day. And I love my friend for this. She always gets that little in, and she said it's very fitting that Donald complained about it.
0: Yeah, and and she talks about how his inauguration speech was actually foreshadowed by his uh, I Alone Can Fix It platform Mm -hmm. during his campaign, which many did not take seriously. But she says here, folks like Ruth ben Giot, Sarah Kenzier, and Malcolm Nance
1: did. Friends of ours. Absolutely, and she goes on to talk about you know, Donald's lies, which began on the first day of his presidency with regard to the inauguration size, how the sheer volume of lies would increase and basically amounted to assaults on the general public day after day. You know, he'd push the envelope, and when he got away with it, he'd push it further.
0: Yeah. And there's so many examples of this. I mean, there's just so many. Her first book is full of them as well. This is like how he just grew up. But, you know, the first thing that popped into my head was how he skirted the nepotism laws by appointing family members as White House advisors. And when he was told he couldn't do that, he he said, well, what's going to happen if I
1: just do it anyway? And everyone just kind of shrugged. And because the Republican Party got in line behind him. The worst among us. The worst among us were represented by the GOP, which controlled 100% of the government at that time, you remember? Mary talks about how the Women's March seemed like, like, like a last gasp attempt at collective healing. That's what she calls it. But, but she concedes it, it couldn't be sustained because he can't begin, you can't begin to heal if you're still being traumatized. That is such an important statement.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so glad Mary talks about how the Democratic Party has misread the character of Republicans. Mm -hmm. And not only that they misread it in this case, but they've been misreading it for decades. And then she talks, she goes on to talk about the attacks on the press and how they were deliberate. And, and, And despite that, despite the deliberate attacks on the press, the mainstream media outlets continued to just normalize his behavior. Which was
1: just disgusting. So she basically sums it up perfectly in this quote. Okay, this is this is a direct quote. Donald's racism. His use of incendiary language, his shredding of norms, his breathtaking and obvious ignorance, and his arrogance in thinking he didn't need to make sense were all taken for granted. She goes on to say the press failed to ask the right questions because they were enjoying the access they had to him and some intangible, quote, respect for the office.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and she says the questions we should have been asking— were about why someone's so unfit, someone who lies so much, someone who betrays the Constitution and his oath, why somebody who's like that be allowed to be 100%. the president. So, those are the questions that should have been asked. And that failure led to growing chaos. And Mary gives examples here. Although, we, you know, she talks about the murders at the two mosques in New Zealand, uh, the murders at the Tree of Life Mosque in Pittsburgh, the El Paso shooting, Jesus. Charlottesville. It goes on and on. He targeted women, Muslims, the LGBTQ community, the poor, Puerto
1: Ricans, Mexicans, and then even children. And that, A.G., is actually where Mary pegs the peak of his cruelty, the children, the child separation policy. So she posits that every act of cruelty prior to that was a prelude to that particular horror. Everything up until this point was a prelude to the children.
0: Kind of like the push the envelope, nothing happens, yep. push the envelope, nothing happens, and, and then here we go. And we get to the child separation policy. And all the while, he, he was going after our institutions, right? Dr, Dr. Timothy Schneider, his book On Tyranny, puts at number two of the 20 things to prevent tyranny, number two is the defense of institutions. As she, she cites Noah with the Sharpie on the map, right? Yep. And then this, the subsequent pressure he put on Noah to release a false statement. He also went after the intelligence community, famously, and of course, the Department of Justice. And Mary says everything he did, all of it, all of it took its
1: toll on us as individuals and as a society. And the press didn't help. I mean, because the stories that took up most of our attention, they're designed to keep us from noticing he was dismantling our democracy. This is a designed attack. You know, he's not smart, but the people around him were, some of them. Yeah, she even she even says
0: here that only the most practiced or obsessed observer could have pieced that together. And I feel seen, Dana. <laughs> <As> <laughs> I do. <feel> I. Seen. <laughs> I mean, I. Uh, I mean, how many episodes did we put out on the Mueller investigation? Yeah. I mean, we did twenty episodes alone on just the Mueller report. So yeah, I think obsessed fits. But anyway, uh, let me read you uh, this quote from page sixty four because this this one really stuck out to me. So let me pull it up here in the in my book, fragile systems bend toward the dysfunction of the most psychologically disordered members of the system, especially if that person is disproportionately powerful. America's institutions were designed to be impervious to the depredations of any one individual, regardless of how dysfunctional he or she might be. But in a country that relies so heavily upon traditions and norms, the Senate, cabinet members, and advisors need to act as safeguards, not accomplices, when they fail to or choose not to reign in the dysfunctional individual, he, with assistance from enablers, is left with all of the resources of his position and, and at his disposal to pervert every institution he controls until they come to amplify and exemplify the worst of him.
1: And that, she hits the nail on the head here, when she says yeah. right here, most of our government is propped up by antiquated concepts like honor and shame. And she said, and Donald has neither. quote it's easy to break shit especially when you think it will benefit you
0: yeah i mean that's how donald has succeeded his entire life right by breaking shit he doesn't build anything he just breaks shit and he gets away with it not only does he get away with it but as she uh, described perfectly in her first book uh he thrives off of it he does wins. you can see
1: it and and then on top of that Iggy, add on all the complete lack of transparency Where we just were like, what the fuck is going on? The stonewalling of oversight. I mean, an absolute threat to American experiment. So couple that with the fact that he installed cabinet members intent on basically burning down the agencies that they were appointed to run. And that's when you have a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and that was especially
0: apparent for the Department of Justice. I mean, he put, you know, he put... Fossil fuel guys in charge of the Environmental Protection Agency. He put Rick Perry in charge of a, the Department of Energy, which Rick Perry wanted to abolish. Yeah. I mean, the list, the list goes on. And he put we back on the podcast in the kitchen table days. We said he would put a dingo in charge of a baby. Yeah, and and but this was especially apparent in the Department of Justice with Sessions, who formulated the child separation policy and curtailed the use of consent decrees, which decimated civil rights. That's when you go in and you know investigate police departments for. Violating people's civil rights, mm-hmm. and we know what Barr did to the Justice Department. Oh, um, yeah, and, and Mary has a couple pages on that. But you can see our last book series on Ellie Honig's Hatchet Man for for all that information in detail. And Mary wants us to note that Sessions is a racist who opposes civil rights. He got fifty one Republican votes at his confirmation, while Kristen Clark, a civil rights champion, got one Republican vote. And I thought that that was such an important
1: thing to point out. It's, uh, uh, some of this, uh, when you hear it said out loud, you're, it really does make you sick. Mm -hmm. So our friend goes on to discuss at this point, two of the worst things. Okay. If not the worst secretaries of state, this is what she's talking about now. First, we've got the Exxon Mobil exec handpicked by Manafort. That was Rex Tillerson and Mike Pompeo, who, by the way, I don't know if you've seen him lately. He looks not healthy anyway. Um, He was so globally unpopular, Mike Pompeo. He had to cancel his January 2021, quote, victory lap around Europe because no one wanted to meet him. That's embarrassing. (laughs) Can you imagine being the Secretary of State? and No, everyone's like, oh, I got to wash my white belt that day. Uh, (laughs) Washing my hair. Mary goes on to say, and this is another quote, to what extent these institutions recover under the Biden administration and beyond is yet to be seen. The question is, how do we prevent such devastation from happening again? And that is a point over and over in this book. We cannot change the past. How do we do better moving forward?
0: Yeah, how do we prevent it from happening again? That's the crux of the book, right? The reckoning. Um, And she ends the chapter by talking about Donald's first impeachment over his quote-unquote perfect call to President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine. She notes the Senate voted 53 to 47 to acquit him. And, of course, Susan Collins infamously said, uh, I believe the president has learned from this case. The president has been impeached. That's a pretty big lesson. Remember, she, he learned his lesson. Oh, yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. Uh, did you see that he wrote a letter? Uh, we'll talk about this at the end. So after, the, so after three years, we were already, this is three years of this administration. We were, she said, you know, Mary says we were already beaten down. And the acquittal, the acquittal, was a huge blow to us. She ends the chapter with, and then came the plague. If you think about everything we survived in that son of a bitch's administration, it's mind-blowing. And so that's basically where we're going to start next week is the pandemic.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and, and chapters, uh, I think, four and five, pages 75 to 101, uh, the, the first chapter there is called Abandon All Hope Ye Who Enter Here. I feel like half of these chapters are named after signs in Pirates of the Caribbean. That's hilarious. And uh, and suffering in silence. Again, it's, it's a tough book, but yeah. it's so necessary. I mean, that's why
1: it's called The Reckoning, right? It's, yeah. We were talking about impeachments. And, uh, did you see that? He just sent another. You may cover this, have covered this in the news. I apologize. But he sent another letter to Georgia. It was like, we found 43,000 votes and, and you know, I, I hope you overturn this election. And if not, whatever, I don't, whatever legal term you use, like he really had no idea what he, I was like, oh, for God's sake.
0: Yeah. And he's under investigation for election interference in Georgia. yeah And this is a perfect example of what Mary says in this last chapter, he pushes the envelope and gets away with it and then pushes it again yeah and keeps getting away, keeps failing forward or, you know, I don't know, like falling upstairs. It's like this
1: <laughs> moron robbed a bank, and now he's under investigation. And he decided to go back to the bank and go. Just wondering if you guys had any more money. Like, if did you yeah, have and, any more money?
0: And then still doesn't face any consequences. <laughs> Fuck. Like, oh uh, yeah, you're the guy that robbed us the other day. Here's some more money. Hey. Uh, sure hope the sure hope the cops are looking into this. Yeah. Uh, but here ha- here have this while we're waiting. Um, yeah, and and. Again, she's so good and talented at seeing the big picture. Absolutely. And the revisionist history of uh, of the past and how it's, it's taking shape again. Um, but that, you know, Donald Trump came and left them all in the dust was um, just a gut punch. It, it, it's hard to, like she says, it's hard to start to heal from trauma while you're still being traumatized. Absolutely. And so... That's why I think this book is so important. She gives us a, a clear look at everything we've had to endure. Uh, we've done this in our personal lives, Dana. We've taken stock of all the traumas we faced. Absolutely, but it was hard to do while we were still being traumatized. Yeah. And and so I you know I have to hand it to to Mary to be able to pull back and look at the the collective trauma and and describe it and discuss how to confront it because we're all still being traumatized but she has the clarity of thought to with extract herself from it and see it yeah. at, as as the enti- in the you know in the entirety that it needs to be seen in. She it's is un- truly an incredible it book it
1: really is i'm not sure if she said this to you but there's been several times she said if i ever mention writing a third book i need you to have me committed before i start it <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: she is yeah, such you- a good soul
0: yeah um yes and um so if you if you're still if you still haven't got your copy of this book get it uh and like I said next week pages 75 to 101 chapters four and five abandon all hope ye who enter here um and maybe also get a happy book to read alongside of it you know like how Mitch Hedberg says if I eat an onion ring and then eat a carrot does it cancel out uh, the bad food. Uh but th- this is a tough book to not tough because it's
1: poorly written or anything. No. Or anything. It's an incredible book. But watch kitten it is videos. a reckoning. Yes, watch read a reckoning, watch a kitten video.
0: Ah. Yeah,
1: read the reckoning, watch
0: Ted Lasso. There you
1: go. Perfect. Back and forth. Perfect.
0: And then you can whew, and then you can kinda because we, we have to we have to face these things. All right. Well anyway this has been uh this has been great to to bring this to bring this book to you um, so far. So again, next week, episode three, any any final thoughts before we get out of here today? No,
1: I'll, I'm looking forward to covering this next chapters with you, A.G., this has been really great, and I love going through the book like this. I hope that the listeners are enjoying it as well.
0: Yeah, and if you have any questions for Mary about any part of this book, or, or for us, anything that we talk about, you can submit those uh, on the Patreon page, patreon.com slash wrote It's three bucks a month to, to be a patron, and at the... What you get for that is is pretty astounding. You get you get all these episodes, plus Muller She Wrote, plus The Beans, ad-free, and you get uh, meet and greet stuff, and the happy hour Zoom calls, and you get to submit questions to our guests and things like that. And I really encourage you to do so. You'll be able to find that again on the Patreon page. So until next week, everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. Wait, what?
1: Just lots of taking care of yourselves. Take, well, yeah, doubly take care of yourselves, really, and
0: take care of the planet, please, and take care of your mental all health. All of that do it all Uh, and your and your pod pets we could make a huge list at the end of these episodes but we won't anyway i've been allison gill and i've been dana goldberg (laughs) and this is the msw book club The MSW Book Club is executive produced by Allison Gill in partnership with MSW Media and written by Allison Gill and Dana Goldberg. Sound design and engineering by Molly Hockey. Jesse Egan is our copywriter and our art and web designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios. The MSW Book Club is a proud member of MSW Media, a group of creator-owned podcasts focused on news, justice, and politics. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.